for sure. 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 Welcome to another episode of For Sure, a 200-foot podcast. I'm Peter. And it's me, Jay. All right, so we're going to get started today with a look at the Department of Player Safety. And if you remember earlier in the year, we we talked a little bit about how the suspensions that have been given out you know, have historically not been too good. Like we talked about when uh, George Peros took over or not, not took over, but like when he came into the office of uh, the department of player safety, we, you know, we talked a little bit about the, the, the suspensions and, you know, the problems we've had with them. And here we have uh, a, an example that seems to be pretty divisive among the hockey community. If you go on Twitter and the like, so Radko Gudis of the Philadelphia Flyers was assessed a 10 game suspension and it was so it's his third suspension. I believe he's been warned twice by the league. At least his last suspension was six games. And if you haven't seen it, basically, he tried to reenact uh, one of the more shocking scenes in the first season of Game of Thrones where (laughs) He he was he was tied up with with Matthew Perot and he, Matthew Perot cross checked him and I mean it, it was it was not you know it was definitely a a, a a dirty play in terms of you know cross checking him in the back but I mean that you know that happens a billion times a game and you know he hit him pretty hard um, but then Gudis's reaction uh, actually well sorry he didn't just hit him uh, he cross checked him a couple times and then his stick rode up his back and basically took Gudis's helmet off. Um, you know, on the not the follow through, but it, like the stick rode up his back and into the back of his helmet, knocking it off. So Gudis's reaction was to use his stick to basically flip Perot up in the air, which I haven't really seen too many people talking about. But that was pretty dangerous as well, um, because, you know, it's kind of like a slew foot um, where the person doesn't expect it to happen. So they can't really brace for impact. And then his his stick came up and he basically paused for a moment in midair and looked over to see if King Joffrey was looking and <laughs> brought the stick down in a in what could only be described as a chopping motion. I mean, it was like a full swing, a full chop, hit him pretty much on the back of the neck. And I was really surprised that it didn't result in, in a lot of injury. So, Jay, what's your reaction to this 10 game suspension? Do you think it's it's enough? It's not enough. <laughs> what do you think? First, first of all, I, I'm actually kind of sad that I don't have a bell because my reaction is shame, <laughs> shame. <laughs> uh, I, I'm literally watching the, the, the video again right now as we speak. And um, there's just, okay. Yes. We're all, we're, we're all beings of emotion. The human fabric is uh, uh, thin <laughs> and we're trying to be uh, obviously in charge of our reactions and emotions. And uh, Gudis was not. So, um, I'm surprised that if not that you know th- this is what's weird because depending upon the injury because I mean we don't know if if Perot is actually hurt hurt yet right like he got up on his own power and he's fine but you know like the, the the nature of injury is like there's some stuff in the immediacy but then there's also stuff that could follow down the road here so 
you know, it, it, I'm, I'd be curious if they took that into account at all about um, how, how about that being the amount of games that they gave to him. But um, I, I mean, it's it's egregious. It's over the top. I think that um, for uh, a play like that to go unpunished would have been uh, like a, a little bit more lun- lunatic like. It would have had more lunacy because, like, I feel like they looked at it and they're like, OK, we have to do something here. But maybe they didn't know, like, if there was like a blanket thing to do. But, yeah, potential beheadings definitely deserves something. I don't know. I I think 10 games is is uh, enough. I mean, I'm very curious as to how many, you know, because, again, remember, there's scheduling, there's back to backs, you know, there's obviously money as well. So, um I think if the league, if the Department of Player Safety is supposed to hand down punishments that are supposed to deter uh, future incidents, then I'd like to think maybe this one has been settled, like, pretty much from, like, like signed, sealed, delivered. Like, <laughs> try to chop off a player at the neck, that's 10 games. Do I think it should be more? Maybe. I think there's definitely precedent there because, you know, I think there's just, this is the problem again, Pete intention versus result right how much are we going to weigh into the decision making i think the act should still be regardless of injury the act itself you know just because a guy can kind of walk it off doesn't mean doesn't take anything away from the fact that either by trying to make it look like an accidental thing or just like a cheap jab i mean you just don't do that so i'm pretty sure the league then the Department of Player Safety actually did things like, well, Perot got up pretty easily, so it, it can't have been that bad. But obviously, you know, we have to we have to do something. But so that th- those are those are my limited and, and concise thoughts. What about you? Well, I'm glad you brought up one point that I think it, it always drives me crazy, which is. The the whole idea that that the the injury should have a bearing on the the punishment and my thought has always been that the potential injury from the act should be the standard you know so in this case and, and again if if you haven't seen it or if you just, you know just saw like a really quick click uh, if you just saw a really quick clip of it go back and watch this again because Gudis he chops him in the back of the neck with the stick. I mean, for a league that's supposed to be caring about head injuries and a league that's supposed to be, you know, worried about this, they don't really seem to, I don't know. They don't really seem to, to act that way in, in the way that they hand down these suspensions. And like I said before, I mean, Gudis is a repeat offender. He's been warned, he's been suspended and you know the problem is the the suspension is is in one regard meant to act as a punishment you know you did this so now you will have an appropriate punishment but it's also meant to act as a deterrent and i think that across the board that the the suspensions handed down are not enough i think across the board i think they should be more and i can understand how somebody looks at this and says I mean, in the system they have in place, I can understand how 10 games might be fair. But I'm just saying, like, in in logic world, like, it yeah. just seems <laughs> like it's so egregious. And I don't know. I, I think it should have been a lot more. 
but at the same time, I've always been somebody who said, you know, suspension should be longer across the board because I don't think that they're having their intended effect in terms of uh, the preventative nature of them, you know, because I mean, Gouda sat, sat down for six games. Six games is a lot. You know, if you think about the term, you know, the, the, the way that the NHL suspends players, you know, six players is is a lot of games for an NHL player to be suspended now. And then he still turned around and did this. And then the other thing, too, is if you go back and you look at his response, he seems to be surprised. He's surprised that he got 10 games. And that tells me more than anything that he he doesn't get it, that he doesn't get it. He doesn't care to get it. And as much as I wish that this is going to be the last dumb thing he's going to do that, you know, could potentially end somebody's career uh, or season at the very least. You know, I'd really hope that this is, you know, this is this is what gets through to him. But I'll be honest, I don't think so. I mean, I, I am not going to be surprised the next time he does something dumb like this. I wouldn't be either. And this is the other weird part, Pete, is that, like, I would love to know, like, how much. Because obviously everything the Department of Player Safety does, it's between the league and the and the NHLPA, right? So, like, this this is, like, so much of the, like, uh, contradictory sword that they use because they're like, they can't do that, but you can't suspend them for that long. You know, like, I, I'm very curious as to how much the league is, you know, when they negotiate these things or what's allowed under the CBA. And um, I don't know. It, it's just really tough to try and come up with a more consistent uh, system, I think, because I think you just have both sides still not on the same page. It's, it sounds to me like as much as the 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 you know the league wants to crack down on this, the player association wants to crack down on this, but then there's other areas that they don't want to change. There's other areas that they want to keep intact. So, yeah. you know, I, I again, I'm I haven't seen like any giant um, statement from any particular source saying like this is over the top or this is this is lame. I mean. I, I guess this is probably well within the wheelhouse of uh, what is normally what, or what was agreed upon for when they hand things out like this. So, um, uh, again, he's we've seen guys not get it before. Um, maybe we can hope that this is the what's going to flip the switch. But I don't know. It's like how many how many how many more people have to get hurt? How many more? How many more? Cl- this is what's weird too, Pete. Is like when you have close calls like this that don't. It's like, listen, we got lucky this time. Like we are lucky that Perot had feelings still, because we all know how vital everything at the base of the neck is. We all know how vital that gigantic trans-Pacific phone electrical cable that is at the base of our neck that basically supplies the rest of our body with you know the electrical signals it needs to oh i don't know live and any threat to that area is like needs to be like like zero tolerance like listen man that's his neck i mean they what the one the one guy gets i mean again this is still the league that what's his face got uh, and i'm ashamed that i can't remember his name but like he's the goalie and he got the, the the skate to the neck right and he's bleeding out all over the ice and you know yeah all the goalies are are, are encouraged in, in wearing the the more protective stuff but players aren't it's at the discretion of the player there's no league-wide 
you know, mandate that you have to wear the neck protector so that a skate coming up doesn't slice your jugular. You know, there's there's just glaring areas that the league is still lacking in, and they need to they need to not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the uh, you know, if you if you look at the Detroit Calgary game, you know, you can kind of see you, you can see an exhibit of of uh, you know what we're talking about here, where you know. I, I can't really defend the suspension for Luke Kwiatkowski because it's cut and dry. It's yeah. like once you leave the ice, like it's not, there's no gray area. It's not like, oh, well, it's up to the referee's discretion. It's like once you leave the ice surface, you are not allowed to come back. And if you do, it's 10 games and that's it. You know, that's that's it. And so, I mean, what he ended up doing was was definitely not worthy of 10 games if you take it out of that context. But the problem is it is in that context, you know. So in, unless the league changed the rule, then you don't really have much of an argument. And if you, you know, you go back in time and you, you look at the reason why they came up with that rule, you know, where they would have players go off the ice and then when the referee's not looking, they just come right back out, you know. It, it, mm-hmm. It's pretty obvious why they have that rule in place, and like I said, I mean, there isn't really an argument uh, that I think you could you could put for that. But at the same time, I mean, it's really disheartening to see Sam Bennett, you know, swing his stick at Jonathan Erickson's face twice, and the only reason it wasn't a suspension is that Erickson caught his stick and prevented him from being slashed in the face like a baseball bat. I mean, that's ridiculous. Like. Just the fact that he that that Erickson was able to defend himself doesn't mean that this this isn't worthy of of suspension. And I think I think that's the biggest thing is is I've I've said it before. I'll say it again. It's consistency. You know, mm-hmm. we don't see consistency, and until we do, people are going to continue to complain about this. And I think rightfully so. So uh, after compartmentalizing and judging the uh, stuff that's lacking. Let's talk about maybe some potentially exciting things here, Pete, especially for you and I, because we're weirdos. Yeah. Uh, we are in the midst of a, a, a dawn of perhaps a new ice age of gaming. Uh, I'm sure most of you are somewhat uh, familiar with uh, the League of Legends and uh sweet street fighter massive battles that take place in these tournaments and these arenas and it was recently announced that the potential for nhl 18 and the like to join the fanaticism of these giant esports things and pete when i first read this i was like wait a minute how does this and then the more i read about it the more i'm just excited to actually just start my own team with you and maybe like uh, one other person and uh and and trying to see you know, if we can actually uh, win money. So <laughs> uh, I'm down for that. Uh, what about you? <laughs> yeah. So, um, again, this is definitely something that might have kind of flown under the radar of our readers. I only know about it because I am a fanatic uh, for Elliot Friedman's 31 Thoughts. I read them every every week on Sportsnet. And we love you, Elliot. We love yeah, you. If you're listening. Yeah. We love you. Future for sure guest, Elliot Friedman. <laughs> He's he's on the wish list for sure. Um, so, you know, if, if you haven't read his latest one, uh, basically they're talking about at the at the 2016 Board of Governors meeting in Florida. This is in December. 
the NHL was starting to look at esports, like they were starting to try to figure out how to get into it. And if you're like, oh, esports, like that sounds dumb. I mean, I'll be honest, like I don't really completely understand the appeal of this. Like it's not it's it, I, I think maybe it's I, I'm, I'm a generation too old, so I don't really understand the appeal of this. But according to Elliot Freeman's article, well, he's quoting Forbes. Streaming game content revenue is expected to rise from 1.8 billion in 2016 to 3.5 billion in 2021. So it's a it's a huge market, it's a huge burgeoning market. And uh, again, according to the article uh, in August, Crunky Sports, which uh, owns the Avalanche, they invested in an esports uh, franchise. They bought a team in Los Angeles, and there's other teams. That you know that that have ownership in these, including Boston, New Jersey, the Rangers, Tampa Bay, and Washington. And it sounds like from the article, it sounds like that the team, the, like the NHL version, or like you know what the NHL might be trying to do, is not going to be like a like a League, League of Legends or like a like a fighting game type thing. But it sounds like they are going to be doing some type of hockey stuff. So instead of being embarrassed in my home on my couch, <laughs> uh, I can be embarrassed. In front of everybody, because it sounds like they they sold out uh, Madison Square Garden for a League of Legends semifinals, uh, and and they sold it on back to back nights. The ticket prices were forty six dollars and sixty one dollars. So it definitely sounds like th- there there is some appeal there, um, at least for at least for that game. I mean, who knows if that'll translate to NHL? And I think that's going to be that's going to be interesting thing for the the league is like can they can they take that and and translate it into something that's going to help them build hockey. I and I actually think that they can because there's, I mean, this is the weird part, you know, is I think this is an area that still is kind of lacking. So maybe they, it stinks that it's a digital thing that, that, you know, cause again, actually playing a sport has its benefits. We're not discounting that. All right. But what stinks is hockey is a specialized sport in terms of equipment and necessary things that you need to be able to play it, right? So that's why, you know, like there's more street hockey than there's actual ice hockey and whatnot. But in terms of generating interest, not so much actually playing the game, but becoming, you know, more familiar with with plays and how to develop them and how to react and how to, uh, you know, evolve on the fly. I think this could be a goldmine for them and I think actually get more people to watch because now – you're thinking like, geez, you know, in, in real life, you know, uh, again, I hate to say this out loud. If Mike Babcock does something really well on a particular shift or a particular line juggle, someone else can can copy that now and maybe bring it to their own team. You know, hey, do we do we want to, you know, in terms of line juggling and whatnot, I mean, are these. And then the other part is in terms of customization, like what kind of teams are you going to be allowed to have? Is it going to be everybody gets to do like an all-star draft? Like your top line is going to be Crosby and McDavid and, and Kane or whatnot, or are these going to be like we, like you and I do it, which I think is the real genuine thing, you know, the whole press the randomizer twice and you get to between pick between those two teams or you pick it a final, you hit X another time, but that's the team you're stuck with. So if they stick with that, I like to think that everybody has a pretty cool chance. But I would also like to see some sort of draft thing. You know, maybe there's a fantasy hockey draft style thing where you do get to build your teams out of top players. But, you know, just because, and again, this is where some of the parity can come into because I know that there's been a bunch of times where I've played against guys that are not as skilled, but because they have a super stacked team, they're able to hold their own. But then I've seen people be handed, you know, the randomizer team, like, oh, I get to play as the actual current Penguins and just suck into oblivion. So, (laughs) 
I think there's an opportunity for everybody here to to obviously be I think be around the game more, learn the game a different way, you know, at least to be a little bit more cerebral about it, and then like, hey, guess how much you enjoyed that? Well, wouldn't it be neat if you just went to a regular game? That's and then people are like, yeah, let's do it, and then they jump in the air and it's a freeze frame, and then everybody makes money. So, yeah. And we could be we could do it like the uh, this, the infamous same five the bell freeze frame where uh, Kelly Kapowski misses the high five. Yep, that's what we do. That would be classic. Perfect. So c- congratulations NHL on on stumbling upon something that could severely help you, but baby steps, baby skates, baby steps, midget steps. All right. So speaking of missing. Uh, some teams are in danger right now of missing the playoffs. You probably heard of the the unofficial Thanksgiving rule, which is basically that the the teams that are in a playoff spot by the fourth Thursday in November are typically the teams that end up in a playoff spot in April. However, it's not every year. You know, every year it's about an average of twelve to thirteen playoff teams since the salary cap era. And so if you're thinking that means that every year there's three or four teams that are not in the playoff picture that end up in the playoffs uh, by the end of the year. Now, this year definitely seems like it could be a little bit more. There there could be some more fluctuation there because in the Eastern Conference, you have 12 teams that are separated by eight points, which at this point of the year is not a lot to make up. You know, once you once you start getting into the second half of the year, eight points becomes a lot harder to to make up with, you know, with three point games. And in the West, you have 12 teams that are separated by five points. So, I mean, that's obviously not a lot at all. So, you know, there are definitely some teams on the outside looking in. So really quickly, I'm just going to run down. What I'll do is is we're going to go over the teams that are in the playoffs right now. And then each of us is going to pick um, we're going to pick two teams that are on the outside looking in that we think will be in the playoffs and two teams that we think will not be. OK, so in the east, we'll, we'll do two, two, uh, you know, two for each conference in each part. Yeah. So in the East, we have in the Metropolitan, we have Columbus, New Jersey. The Islanders have the automatic spots as of right now. Uh, We have in the Atlantic Division, we have Tampa, Toronto and Boston. And then we have Washington and Pittsburgh as the wild cards as of right now. Although, like we said before, the Rangers are one point out of wild card. The uh, the Red Wings are two points out. Carolina and Ottawa are three points out. And, you know, it's I mean, other than maybe Buffalo, uh, there's, there's not, you know, there's not too many teams that seem to be completely out of it in the East. So, so what do you think? So who are your two teams that you think are not going to be in and which two teams do you think are going to be in? Okay. So if I'm looking at this correctly and I like to think that I am, this is probably the least accessible vault ever built by man. <laughs> oh, uh, sorry. That's Ocean's Eleven. Um, okay. So I would like to say that right now, uh, I'm thinking that. Washington and um, who's the other one? So we're, are we starting in the East? Let's just start yeah. in the East. Screw yeah, it. Yeah, so in the East. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so which which two Eastern Conference teams are currently in a playoff spot that you think won't be, and then which two teams are currently not that you think will be? Uh, I'm going to say the Islanders are not going to be in a playoff spot. I'm going to say that the uh, Bruins are not going to be in a playoff spot, and I'm going to say. Uh, Detroit and the Rangers will be 
the two teams. Now, granted, the Rangers are uh, uh, just right next to each other, and they are in the same conference, so that those are my picks. I think basically right now the Rangers in, in Detroit are going to leapfrog the third-place teams in their respective places, and then um, all the other guys can suck it. So that that those those are my East picks. What, what about you? This is this is tough. I think I definitely think Boston. Like, cause I'm I'm trying to go through and look at like which teams I think are definitely going to going to be in, and yeah. you know, like in the Atlantic, I think Tampa and Toronto. You know, if I was going to bet money, I think th- those would be the two teams I I definitely bet on. The the Metro is so tough. The Metro is so tough because it's it's so wide open, and. Uh, <laughs> It's hard because, like, I don't want to believe in Columbus, but, I mean, after last year and then, you know, where they are right now, I mean, you kind of have to, at least at this point. And I really think New Jersey's going to stay in there. And I I think the Islanders are going to stay, too. I think they're going to maybe end up as a wild card, but I think I think they're going to I think they're going to stay in the picture. And so I'm going to go with Boston and. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little surprising here. I'm gonna go Washington. Washington falling out. Um, you know, right now they're they're one point ahead of the Rangers, two points ahead of Detroit, um, and they have a uh, no. Actually, they, uh, yeah, yeah, they, they played one extra game. So I'm gonna go with Washington. I think I think your your pick of the Islanders is probably more likely than Washington, but I'm gonna go with it anyway. And then I'm gonna go with Carolina and Ottawa. Because each of those teams has played only 20 games, whereas a lot of the other teams have played 22, 23. And so, you know, they got a couple games in hand, uh, each of them do. And, you know, Carolina's starting to pick it up. It's going gonna, it's gonna to depend a lot on Scott Darling. He had an absolutely terrible game last night, but I don't think that's going to be typical for him. And then Ottawa, I hate them. I hate watching them. They are the <laughs> least exciting. It's amazing because they're the least exciting team in the world with one of the most exciting players on it. Um, <laughs> yeah. they, are, yeah. they are the Oilers of the East. It is, <laughs> it is incredible where... But at the same time, I think, I think they're going to do it. They're going to bore themselves back in. Um, so that's what I think for the East. So let's go out West. Out West is, like I said, it's interesting because you have 12 teams that are within five points. So, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of room for fluctuation. You could have way more than three or four teams switch spots here. So yep. in the central, we got St. Louis, uh, we got Winnipeg and we got Nashville. And then in the Pacific, we have the Vegas golden Knights. Still somehow we have Los <laughs> Angeles, we have Calgary, and then the wild card right now, we have Vancouver and San Jose. All right, so what do you think out here? Because this is, I mean, this is so wide open. Right <laughs> uh, we, can, we can save our Wild West uh, puns for a different episode. Um, okay. I think it's fairly, I, I'm going to, listen, I have to go against, I have to go with, sorry, I have to go with history on this. Uh, Vegas is not going to be in the dance by the time things happen. Uh, let's be honest, folks. Um, do I want them to tell, to prove me wrong? Sure, why not? But last I checked, uh, uh, the bell tolls for everyone. Okay, <laughs> the bell is going to toll for Vegas. So I think Vegas is going to be out. I also think uh, Winnipeg is going to fall off the face of the earth, and I think the two teams that are going to make it are and the and this this might be a drum roll here, Pete. Um, I think Minnesota is going to get their act together and. 
And the other team I'm going to pick, and I hate to do this because I think the way the league is currently structured, the fix is going to be in. So, um, yeah, I'm going to have to say, and this is, again, begrudgingly, your Chicago Blackhawks are going to be taking the place of those other two teams I mentioned. I I know I don't like to say it, but they like to do sneaky things, you know, like uh, win. A bunch for no reason. So, <laughs> so that's so that's my deal. What what about you, Pete? They're so sneaky with their their streak winning. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, um, oh, also, by the way, we are we are rec- you're going to be listening to this on Monday. Um, you know, if you get it the first day, we are recording this on Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. Um, so the the standings could be you know some of these teams could have switched by the time you listen to this, uh, because I think today most of the teams in the league are playing. So. Which makes this even cooler because now we get to update it later. So basically, we're now last week tonight. Exactly. Right? Yeah. That's basically what we are now. So that's great. That's okay. Okay. So I I also am going to go with Vegas. I I am I'm, I'm still not a believer. I'm I, <laughs> honestly like if it gets down to the last week and they have two games left and they are in a playoff position by ten points, I will still not be sure that they're going to make the playoffs. So Vegas, yeah, Vegas, uh, no, they're going to fall out. And I'm going to say Vancouver is going to fall out as well. And going in, I agree with you on Minnesota. I think, I, I think that team's too good to, uh, you know, to not end up there. And the other team I'm going to say, because, I mean, I, there, there's so many teams, I think. I mean, basically anybody but Arizona, I think, is going to have a chance to, to make this. You know, you got Edmonton. You know, even though they're behind, they're still only five points behind, which is incredible. I want to go with Edmonton, but at the same time, I mean, I saw them play recently, and you know, they they kind of turned it around. They turned it around against Detroit and played a lot better. But I mean, I'm going to need to see them play well for at least <laughs> at least a week or two before I believe in them. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go Minnesota, and I'm going to go Dallas. Okay. I'm going to go Dallas. I think. Um, you know, I mean, they're 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 eight two and zero at home. You know, all they have to do is if they can keep up that pace and kind of turn it around on the road a little bit, you know, win a couple more games on the road, uh, I, the, you know, they'll be on pace to uh, to jump into that playoff picture. So, yeah, this is uh, this is an exciting time, Pete, because given how close this stuff is, I mean, I was at the Wings game the other night and listening in on our uh, our television crew gets set. This is the most excited and interested I've seen them, first of all, in this Thanksgiving theory. But then also, just it's another signal of how parody has either come to roost or really make its uh, its presence known that uh, it's likely here to stay. I mean, we, I, I'm I'm still on the fence about it because I you know seeing how these poorly run franchises are still getting these like top picks and stuff. So I think there should be a reckoning in the form of abolishing the draft. And, and maybe letting these teams build their rosters a little bit differently to maybe, like, still have parity, but also, like, not force parity. Like, I'd rather be have it be parity just by competition, not parity because you are literally telling which teams can be good and which teams have to wait a little bit. So. Mm. Once more, welcome, friends, to our award-winning Peabody, Pulitzer, Tony, Grammy, you know the deal. Well, award-winning segment, talking with important hockey people. And today we have Corey Pronman 
from The Athletic. He is the senior NHL prospects writer for The Athletic. He's also responsible for analyzing all the NHL prospects before and after they enter the NHL organizations by way of research and scouting. He's previously worked for ESPN and Hockey Prospectus, and you can find him on the beautiful, sunny, sunshiny website that is Twitter. Uh, you can find him at Corey Promen, all one word, C-O-R-E-Y-P-R-O-N-M-A-N. Corey, thanks a lot for joining us. Yeah, sure. Thank you for having me. And, uh, you know, kind of as a disclaimer to your listeners, I actually came out with a bit of a cold in case my voice sounds a little weird uh, during this podcast. But thank you for having me. Looking forward to this. Perfect. So, uh, Corey, I wanted to start off with uh, this. This seems like a, a decent uh, palate cleanser. Uh, we, have, we have some questions that uh, both Pete and I have made, but then also some ones from the uh, the World Wide Web. So we'll start with stuff that uh, Pete and I, you know, were, uh, we're kind of wondering about. So, um, in your opinion, uh, what is the biggest attribute of a developing player that NHL GMs overvalue? And then, as a follow up, what's the biggest attribute that you think fans overvalue? That's a good question. The first part is like easy, and it's kind of lazy in my response. And you know, it's the size discrepancy issue still exists in NHL prospect circles. Um, I think certain teams are a little more progressive than others on that front. Um, but that's the one thing that's been same, been the same thing for the last 10, 20 years, and it continues to be an issue. Um, and it's the, it's the low-hanging fruit right now in the industry. Uh, I mean, we can talk about like the little other variables that go, go on, but that's the big one. Um, but in terms of fans, that's an interesting one. You said, and when it comes to things they overvalue, um, yeah. I, I think, and there is definitely um, a tendency to see guys with big numbers or even just good numbers. And I find people who are very, whether they're writers or they're very uh, Twitter savvy, or they read a lot of stuff online. That that crowd tends to be more skewed towards being uh, stats friendly kind of people, um, and I find they can get biased rather easily. Not saying that um, I think when players who produce good statistical numbers are it's a positive, it's an important part of the evaluation. But I find when I try and have a debate about a guy and say, no, he's actually good, even though his numbers aren't that great, or actually, no, there's a major problem here that his numbers aren't showing, I, I find I get met with resistance um, that you wouldn't have if you talk to evaluators around the game who are watching these very same players. Yeah, I know, um, you know, our podcast, uh, we cover... Uh, the NHL in general, you know, but our, you know, we're kind of through a network that is the the Winging It Motown network. So a lot of our listeners, you know, starting off are from the Detroit area. And I know when, you know, you mentioned the size, I know a lot of people were really, you know, worried about their, their selection of Michael Rasmussen. Um, you know, they were worried that Detroit valued size since that seems to be a, you know, the trend that they've been going towards. Um, but then for, for Rasmussen watching him in the, in the preseason kind of put a lot of the fans at rest that, you know, this does seem to be a player that, you know, definitely they seem to be going off board at least a little bit. Um, so like I said, since, since our fans are going to be interested in that, like, what did you think of the selection of Rasmussen and what do you think, you know, so far, you know, like, 
like does it seem like Detroit might have uh, actually you know you know kind of had a sneaky good pick here? Um, I wouldn't say it was sneaky good. I you know he was a top player in his age group for many years, so it wasn't a surprise that he went. You know, in the, in the first round, I think the issue is the exact slotting uh, that he got picked in. And I, and I don't think he was the best player available. I believe at nine is where he was picked. Um, uh, there was a couple other guys in the age group I would have preferred, but I still think he's a very good prospect. We talked, you mentioned what I mentioned before about um, scout overvaluing size. That could have been an issue there. We also talked about fans overvaluing stats, and that could also be an issue there. Because I do think Michael Rasmussen, even though he, his numbers were, weren't great this last season, and for an 18-year-old, he hasn't really produced, you know, incredibly well this season. Although he's still been fine, you know, I still think there is a good player there, just probably not an elite player. I mean, we saw whether you mentioned at the preseason or at the Canada Russia series where he played, he showed very good playmaking ability for a guy his size. There is some skill there. There is vision there. He can win battles. There are significant positive attributes in his game that I think I would definitely grade him as a top prospect. But the question is whether I prefer him to um, Robert Thomas, when I prefer him to Nick Suzuki. Uh, you know, other center prospects, let's pretend they wouldn't have taken Owen Tippett because whatever they want, really wanted a center, hypothetically. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if I have Rasmussen above those those two players as, a, as an example, or Martin Neshis, um, another center that Carolina took. Um, but I think, you know, he would be in that discussion, maybe just a little slightly lower in that discussion. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think, you know, you know, like I said, I think the reason that, you know, I can speak for a lot of Detroit fans, you know, because, you know, we saw their reaction, you know, the reason they were, you know, upset at first was, you know, kind of like what you said is that it seemed like there were better players available. Um, but it's, it's looking like hopefully, you know, Rasmussen can, you know, can, can be a good player for Detroit. Um, so in, in the introduction, Jay mentioned that you, you write for The Athletic and you are, you know, the, 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 the head prospects writer there. Um, so, you know, so one of the things I want our listeners to get out of this is, you know, I'm, I'm sure some of them already know you and some of them already read your articles. But, you know, if they don't, I want them to, you know, to, you know, kind of, you know, go do that and, you know, read, read your articles so you, you know, uh, get more readers because I think you do a great job. Um, so... One of the articles I really liked recently from you was when you broke down uh, the Matthew Shane trade because, you know, that's something that everybody was talking about. And, you know, a lot of the analysis that I saw, you know, didn't go as deeply as you did into, you know, just what Colorado got back. A lot of them were talking about, you know, Duchesne and Turris and, you know, is Turris not that much worse than Duchesne? And so then did Ottawa overpay and et cetera. But, you know, obviously without like, you know, restating your whole article, um, you know, can you go in a little bit into why you think that, um, you know, Colorado did well with the prospects that they got. Well, Duchesne's contract expires what, in one and a half years? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they got one and a half years of a pretty good, but probably arguably not, you know, an elite NHL player. And in return, they got Samuel Girard, who was one of the best defensemen in his, in his age group, whose ELC just starts this season. They got a first-round pick from last season, Shane Bowers. They got, I believe, another first-round pick coming up. Uh, Vladislav Kamenev was a very good prospect in the Nashville system. Not an elite guy, but was very good at the World Juniors. He's been good um, the last two years in the American League. He's a nice player. And you look at all that, that's, you know, potentially 20-ish years of good NHL players for one and a half years of a guy you weren't going to re- you weren't going to resign you're not a great team right now it's 
was such it was such a no brainer for them, and it was, you know, you know, I think there was definitely a lot of criticism towards Joe Sakic, on uh, the last few years of how he was handling this. But it, it, you you couldn't have honestly asked for a better return. Now there's no guarantees, obviously. I mean, I love Samuel Girard. I think he's he's you know he was the key prize for Colorado. There he's a dynamics. Uh, you know, so he's so smart. He skates so well. He, I think, and he put up giant numbers in the queue. I think he's going to become an important puck mover for them for, the, for a long time. Uh, but there's no guarantees for this. I mean, we remember um, the uh, the Marion Hosa trade uh, when Pittsburgh, you know, gave up a lot. You know, whether it was, the, it was their first round pick, it was Angelo Esposito, it was Christensen, and in Atlanta didn't get anything from any of those any of those assets. So it's possible, but I think Colorado did, did quite well, and I think guys, especially a guy like Gerard, I think could make Colorado fans forget about Matt Duchesne very quickly. Well, uh, being a, uh, a a Red Wings fan, I could care less whether or not the happiness for Avalanche fans arrives sooner or later. I would rather sure. it just be gone for forever. <laughs> is, is, is that is that rivalry still a thing? Well, what's funny is I'd like to think for the most part it's – and what's it's funny you mentioned that because yesterday uh, there was the big uh, Michigan Ohio State thing. They're saying like, listen, if you know Ohio's won the last like thirteen matchups, why is it still a rivalry? And then like when people talk about the the Wings and the Abs, I think it's it's still a rivalry in, in just in principle right now. Since we're in different conferences now, we only see them twice a year, and 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 when we do, you know, there's 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 a lot of fond memories there. I mean, literally both organizations have members from those teams that fought in their organization somehow. So like, I think as long as remnants of those fights are still there and, and those teams, you know, I think it'll always, I think it'll always like kind of be on the tip of everybody's tongue. But, you know, at this point I like to consider it, you know, maybe just one of those things you, you kind of mentioned in passing, you know, like, yeah, I see abs fans and I'm like, well, you know, it's, Nice that you're a fan of a team, you know, but I'm sure like maybe like what, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, it was like, Hey, uh, maybe don't walk on that side of the street. Hey, maybe don't come to my city, you know? <laughs> so I think it's certainly lost a lot of gas, but, um, you know, it's, it's definitely your, Hey, it's, it's Sunday afternoon and let's think about the good old days type rivalry stuff. So, um, now the, the thing I want to ask you, Corey, um, because I was kind of personally wondering this, and in, in, in I'm actually glad I get to ask someone who's knowledgeable on the subject about this. Um, when you're looking at a player, um, which, like, if we were to break, like, what a player can bring to the table into, like, certain attributes, like his skating or his puck handling skills or his size or or his, like, hockey IQ type stuff, like, uh, of that type of skill set, is there one that's, like, just in terms of like being a scout and all, it's like, what's the stuff that's easiest to discern? Like the easiest to be like, okay, he's really good at this, really good at this. But then which ones do you think are like the riskiest? Like if some guy pulls off, you know, one of those behind the leg through the river and over the grandmother's house we go type deeks that, you know, you're like, oh, maybe he can do that all the time where maybe he just got really lucky that one time, but it would never really work in, <laughs> in like any consistent fashion. Um, yeah, no, I, I understand your question. Um, I think the thing every NHL team looks for, and the thing that I think that the most important to every single NHL organization, whether they will state on the record or they'll describe it differently in some more fashion, will be hockey sense. Um, and, and hockey sense is a very hard term to define um, because, and I'm going to explain this in a second. You know, 
you know, second, I guess, would be, you know, pure skill, puck skills, how well you handle the puck. But how you handle the puck ties into hockey sense because you could be the best puck handler in the world, but you need to know uh, the right place to make a certain time. You need to know how to anticipate angles, um, uh, how to properly maneuver in spaces, um, when to make plays and when to try to make a play by yourself. Um, and a lot of that just ties into hockey sense. You know, I, I say I, I have strayed away from saying uh, hockey sense in a lot of my articles, and I'll say uh, creativity. I'll say offensive instincts. I'll say vision um, because that ties into the skill components of the game of making plays but being smart about how you make plays. Uh, defensive hockey sense matters a lot too in understanding the game, understanding what it be. Um, but that is the one characteristic that I think matters the most because that ties into the point you just made about being too risky and making a dumb uh, dangle. That is hockey sense. You know, if, if um, the, the highly skilled players know how to create offense through their skill, but they also don't shoot their team in the foot every play. And there's so many examples of players over the years who do just that because they don't have the hockey sense. And that's one of the things, you know, we'll, scouts will talk about all the time. I mean, there's a top... Uh, prospect in this year's class, uh, Bodie Wild. He's a defenseman, dynamic, dynamic guy. I mean, 6'3", he's a high-end skater, he's a great puck handler, but he makes a lot of bad decisions. And so you're looking at him, you see all that skill, and you know, he'll make some really creative plays, but then he coughs the puck up three times a game. And you have to have that kind of debate over, you know, how much is that skill worth it if he, if he can't maximize the value out of it. Um, and that's a kind of a long you know, winded answer to your question. And, and I think you answered it well. I'm, I'm, I'm always fascinated because like, I feel like sometimes I'm kind of curious about like how long it takes for like a scout to, I mean, obviously, you know, like you're a student of the game, you learn about attributes, you, you like watched all the tape and all that stuff. But I feel like, you know, for, as a, as a Red Wing family, you know, we've, we always hold Hawk and Anderson in such high regard because he's the one who found, you know, Datsuk and, the middle of the Siberian desert somewhere, I think. I think that's the accurate um, uh, way that he found him. But, you know, just in terms of, like, okay, so then, you know, once you see something consistently enough and then you can kind of, like, you know, maybe reach out with your with your gut a little bit to be like, okay, so, like, he's a little rough in this area, but under the right system he could pan out. So, um, no, I, no you, you answered that. You answered that well. So. <laughs> All right, so... Um... I was trying to think of a way to ask this question because I, you know, like, you know, to prepare for this, you know, I, I do read your articles, you know, fairly regularly. Um, but, you know, I was going through your articles, you know, looking for different topics you touched on recently. And recently, I think I think it was a few days ago, you had an article about, um, you know, basically taking a look through the prospects for, for every team in the league. You know, obviously not all of them, but at least a couple from each one. So the question I have for you is if you had to pick one NHL franchise to start a team using only their current non NHL players, right? So AHL would count, but you can't use any of their current NHL players. So any of their prospects in the juniors or, um, you know, that, that they've drafted or in the AHL, um, which team would you choose? Or if there's a couple, cause I know this is kind of a tough question off the top of your head. Right. Well, I did farm rankings pretty recently when I was at ESPN. So the, a lot, a large part, um, I'm just trying to think of that. It probably, um, you know, it's tough. Like I would have, you know, I guess I have an inclination towards a lot, a lot of what Nashville is doing right now. Philadelphia has a lot of good guys there too. Um, it depends, I think, whether you define Minnesota's Joel Eriksson-Eck and Luke Cook, uh, Cutting as prospects because 
Um, you know, they've kind of been up and down in the American League and the NHL this season. So, you know, those are the, those are the kind of four organizations between, between – uh, I can't feel because Nolan Patrick's definitely a graduate. So it would probably be between Nashville and Minnesota um, and, and, and St. Louis – or yeah, you know, I think those the four would be Nashville, Minnesota, St. Louis, Vancouver. They're all kind of like in the same area there. Cool. I'm excited. I would like again. The, I I really liked that question, people. When I was looking at because I was like, man, you know, like think like you're basically starting. It, it's like it, it's like the '81 Olympics USA team, right? It's like there's nobody, like nobody you know, really, right? And like how many. You know, because I I figured that it wouldn't just be one team, mostly because parity has like kind of reared its head finally around here. Because I think every, like the the distribution of talent is like kind of maybe evening off for everybody. But yeah, I, I was I was wondering if it was just going to be one team, but I'm glad it's more it's more well, than one. Because I'm like, well, no, I I mean, I probably if you gave me a few more than a few seconds to think about it, I probably can get it down to one team. Uh, those farm those farm rankings take a few weeks for me to go through. Right. Uh, so that's definitely I go, and I'm not even sure if I I might have missed one organization that had some guy there that might significantly improved. I just kind of glanced at my recent farm rankings and did some adjustments for who graduated in the NHL or not, and but yeah, even that, that's roughly the, the the right area of of the teams I'd be thinking about. I'm um, sure it's tough off the top. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Without doing a lot. Yeah. Um. All right. So, uh, Corey, we've got some fan. Uh, questions here. We always like to extend our uh, our benevolent hand <laughs> and allow people to participate in these fun interviews that we like to do. Um, this first one comes from a uh, Craig Custance. Craig, uh-huh. Craig, Craig Custance, yeah. that's right. Um, uh, <laughs> Craig would like to know how much you like the nickname The Prawn Dog. Uh, next question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, so this next one we actually come from. Uh, uh, this he's kind of a regular contributor, Pete. Um, I'm really excited to actually find out who this person is. For all we know, it's actually Scotty Bowman. That could be fun. Yeah. But uh, this comes from user Rar Power. It's 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 spelled weird, Corey. We just, don't worry about the way we're saying it. But um, so uh, he he's wondering, um, is it better to trade to acquire picks or prospects? Now I understand maybe that answer could have changed over the last 30 plus years, given where, you know, obviously talent development and evaluation has gone, but let's, let's set this in the now in the, in the current NHL environment, do you think it's better to get picks or prospects? I, I, that's very, uh, that's a very case by Kane's answer. um, Because here's the issue is that, you know, when are you getting these prospects? Are they 18? Are they 19? Are they 22? Um, and, the, and, where, and where they are matters because there's, there's a, a risk that's inherent the younger you get. Uh, projecting 16-year-olds is much harder than projecting 18-year-olds, which is much harder than projecting 20-year-olds. And, you know, if you're getting a 20-year-old elite guy like, you know, Dylan Strome now or, you know, or, Char- or Charlie McAvoy now, you've got kind of a better idea of where those guys are. Um, as opposed to when you're getting, you know, a 17 guy right out, right out of the draft, and there's still a whole lot of projection there, um, so that you have to balance. There's a, there's a risk factor there. Um, I would say it's rather 
uh, uncommon for elite guys to be traded as prospects. That doesn't really happen that often. Um, the, the Sam Girard instance lately, notwithstanding, and I'm not sure if he's qualifying as elite. Um, but that usually doesn't happen very often. And while the draft picks have more risk, that variance could also swing towards the positive direction. Um, and so, you know, if you're there's you probably get more home runs from picking on your own than from getting somebody else's organization's prospects. So if they're really a, like a true top end guy, organizations don't let them go very often. Um, so if I was, you know, in a bubble, I'd say picks, but you know, it really depends on the players and the picks being considered in a given transaction. Yeah, yep, sure. that's oh, that's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I, I have a question from uh, from Prashant Ayer, and um, so his question is, um, what's your what's your biggest swing and miss of the last decade, and then your biggest I was right and you were all wrong of the last decade? Yeah, um, I, I I get this question a lot. Um, whether in various you know emails or where I run people run into people at games or other podcasts and stuff I've done and my answer is almost always the same. I can give you I can give you names if you really persisted on me. I can tell you you know that I you know that I screwed up on you know Gabriel Andershkov and Nikita Filatov or that I was yelling from like the streets to pick Nikita Kucherov <laughs> and you know but 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 I, I don't feel. Um, that's an appropriate, you know, not, a, not an appropriate question. It's not a, it's not a useful answer um, when you're trying to figure out, you know, am I any good at my job? Because I make thousands of evaluations a year. So, you know, these are outlier examples that we could kind of pull out and have a fun discussion about. And it's, you know, and this is entertainment, so I don't mind having these fun discussions. Yeah. But in terms of, you know, the act, you know, people can get lucky. For various reasons, of you know, you you two could probably find a consensus, you know, top forty-five, top sixty list around June. Throw them and throw that list into a random name generator. Create your own draft board, and I'm sure you'd probably get a huge value pick uh, that none of the NHL teams was able were able to accomplish just by that exercise. Um, and because there's so much luck and variance in, in this field that you kind of have to look at people's evaluation skills holistically and see what kind of process they're going through. How are they thinking? How are they going about their business? And that's, that's to me, the most valuable thing when I'm talking to scouts and trying to figure out if their information is valuable. That's the stuff I, I, I kind of look at with, with them. Now, I don't ask them, tell me about the, the stuff you got right. Um, and... And that's just my, my opinion on it. You know, like I said, I do I do hundreds and not thousands of valuations a year. So I think giving you two or three examples on things I've done well or wrong, I don't think provides much insight into what what I do every day. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I think I think that's a, that's a really good point um, that you also uh, talked about in an article. Uh, you know, I was look, like I said, I was looking through your articles, um, and you know, you had one where it was like you know the you know, like, like the biggest ones I've gotten wrong or something like that. And I thought, I thought it was interesting both as, you know, just, um, you know, a lot of times when people are, you know, trying to get into, you know, maybe, you know, analysis or writing, you know, they kind of feel like, 
you know, well, if I'm wrong, that's going to be a disaster. It's going to be the end of the world, you know? And so sometimes people are afraid to kind of, you know, share either their opinion or, you know, what their analysis because they think, you know, oh, I might be wrong. And I think it was good to see, you know, somebody who's well-respected, who's like, look, I'm wrong sometimes and that's okay. You know, like we're all, you know, it's impossible to not be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually write that column every year and that's, that's, that's how tough this business is. I mean, there's a huge inherent error rate in what we do. It's uh, just because projecting players, there's so much um, variance and luck, and as well as the fact that we're, it's, it's a, it's a uh, subjective business, so there's going to be a lot of error involved in that process. So I mean, I literally do the prospect that was wrong on call, and I have new material every year to write that just because of that. And you know, I think you know, and I don't didn't write that column just to show that I have you know got some wrong. I think that what was important when I wrote that was to show here are some specific cases I got wrong and here's specifically why I was wrong and here's things that you could you could hopefully I learned from and hopefully you can learn from about how to evaluate hockey players. And that that's why I write that. But I will say um, from just being around a lot of rinks and talking to a lot of scouts, the one thing uh, I think that will instantly discredit you in this line of business is if you go around telling everybody about all the stuff you got right. Mm. Um, and from my experience, those people who do that, they get pushed out. <laughs> um, they're not pushed out of the business, but they get a bad reputation very quickly as someone who's either very insecure or someone who doesn't really believe in themselves and, what, and their abilities enough that they have to tell everybody about all those times they were right. And that's... You know, I think you know the the best evaluators and the best analysts in any business, whether it's hockey, whether it's financial history, whether it's words, anything. Uh, those people believe in their processes, they believe in their skills, and they're you know not they don't believe into the fact that they have to brag about it. They just kind of go about their business. They do they do their work, they, sh- they show their work, um, and they you know do, do the best job they can every day. Yeah, I, I agree. I think. Um... You know, nobody likes nobody likes that type of a person. So it's it's not really surprising to hear that. Um, but you know, it, it definitely is interesting to to get that confirmed. Um, one one question from a reader that I wanted to get to. Um, it's from it's from Travis. Um, so his question is, um, he'd be interested in asking about the evolution of defensemen, particularly coming out of the CHL, uh, where uh, CHL leagues where they score they're scoring a lot more than a decade ago at even strength. You know, so what do you think? You know, do you think people are getting better at um, evaluating defensemen, do you think that the actual defensemen are changing either due to, you know, coaching or tactics or systems or, or anything like that? Like, you know, what do you think about the change in evaluating defensemen? Or I guess the evolution well, that, of defensemen, if that makes sense. Well, I'm not familiar with that particular statistic you cited. Um, but the position has been changing for decades. It hasn't just been a recent thing. You know, this was, you know, since, you know, from through the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, what we've been looking for from the defenseman has has been ever changing. Um, you know, the Aussie has been evolving more towards a skill and a skating um, emphasis than where it was in decades past. Um, I'm not sure if anything's changed significantly in the last three to four years um, that I have at least observed in a, in a significant matter. But I, I think that position has seen a very gradual but significant evolution of, over time to where, you know, when we're scouting defensemen, the things we're looking for, you know, the first question I'm always hearing from guys are not whether they're good defensively. The question is always, can they move the puck? 
That's always the first question I, I, that, that has to be answered. And then we get into the defensive play. Um, and, that's, and defensive play is obviously very important for a defenseman. Um, but I find ever more that there's the other attributes um, are being talked about more. You know, is he creative? Is he smart? Can he skate? And you figure if he's if he's smart and he can skate, that he eventually he can make enough stops. Of, of, although the size um, could be a factor in, in that regard, but those first questions I find are at the forefront of people's minds uh, more often than not. Sure. So Corey, I wanted to ask you this because, um, and, and it, there are obviously no absolutes for this type of thing, but um, when you're evaluating a player, like what's the and we were actually just talking about it because you know saying either you're right or you're wrong but like what's what's the th- what are the things that you look for to make you go he's got it or he's close or yeah he needs work could you say that again oh sure um so like when when you're looking at players and like if, let's say they get they get called up like what, what are the things you look for when you're like ah oh, man you know like he He's he's got the stuff. He's he's got the he's got the fire. He's got the touch. Or like there's like oh he's he's close. Or or like is there a you know or, or like you know hey he's he, yeah. he he's rusty. He needs work. I I find that the players that are truly distinctive in their ability to be impactful players um, stand out in a certain way whether it's in an NHL game or an American League game or a junior game or any other level, there's a certain characteristic about how they handle the puck, about how they operate in space, about how they see and anticipate the game that 95% of the other players on the ice don't do. Most of hockey players, I find, at the higher levels of play, this is not a, you know your bantam and your, your midget level, but when you get to like real competition, junior college, American League, etc., they tend to be very basic players. Uh, they chip the pucks in. They can make the odd move and the odd ability to evade pressure and and get the puck up, but they don't. They don't circle back. Uh, they don't stick out of their way into some space. They don't wait an extra two seconds for for an option to come down and 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 feed their man. You know, the, there's that other level of players, the guys who end up becoming NHL players, that tend to operate like that, and. You know, I think finding those guys is easy and it's hard at different times. It's easy because sometimes they just stand out to you in such a in such a visible way that it's like there's there's no way you could have missed it. At other times, maybe their stats haven't always been there. Maybe a little small, slight, not an explosive skater, but you can kind of see that when they have the puck, that they are creative in a way that that everyone else is, and that they stick handle the puck in a way that everyone else isn't. And I find that, you know, there is definitely, you need a couple hundred hours, a couple thousand hours of training to get to the point where you can really spot these things instantly. Like for me, when I first started this, it would take me a little bit of a while to get to that speed. Now I could probably get a good feel on a guy in one or two games. Not a perfect feel, but a relatively decent feel of who a guy is and what they're about. Um, and that's just because I, you can kind of sp- spot these trends in terms of how they process and go about the game. Uh, on a shift-to-shift basis, and those are the guys I find that make it to the NHL, and more more importantly, who become impact players in the NHL. Excellent. 
Yeah, that's good. I was always interested in, um, you know, how long it takes, you know, for someone to to develop this, because obviously, you know, I mean, people watch the game and, you know, they'll be like, oh, that guy's good or that guy's, you know, not good. But yeah. it's, it's a lot different when you're, you know, really looking for specific things. Right. Well, I mean, this isn't rocket science. I mean, you know, you, I mean, you know, it's it's watch it's hockey. You know, and I think there is death, but there is at the same time there is definitely a level of training that comes that comes with it. Um, I don't think the average hockey fan could um, pick, or at least evaluate. Pick is a whole other skill than evaluating, but it could at least break down a player in the way an NHL scout can. You know, that takes a long period of time to to get to that level. Um, but I also don't think it's you know it's impossible. You know, it doesn't take as long to take to get a PhD to get to get to that to that level. Uh, it's just you know it's a you know just it's being around enough, just watching enough hockey games at different levels to learn what's what's important and what's not important. Be able to learn how to project guys who are 17 when they're playing against 19 year olds into how what they're going to look like when they're 19 years old. That's a little bit more of a skill as well. And I would say just you know it probably takes about a few years become really competent at that i'd say yeah um i have i have one one last question uh to wrap this up um so in your article for the athletic about the rochester hockey analytics conference um you talked about an app that cole anderson and you have been working on to help scouts rank nhl prospects uh that was back in october can you can you talk a little bit about that yeah i i i honestly i unfortunately haven't been able to work much with cole lately but we got a decent uh final product uh, one issue that I was coming up with um, throughout the years is like I would, you know, for better or for worse, the the, the things that are the most important from what we sell and from what our readers read are my, our rankings, whether it's rankings of the drafted prospects, rankings of farm of farm systems, uh, rankings of players within organizations. Um, those things are incredibly um, valuable to our readers. Um, and I found that putting those together can lead to little bias issues um, because, you know, when you're trying to rank um, 100 players, for example, or 150 players together, it, you can kind of, you know, it's easy to say, you know, okay, Conor McDavid's one, Jack Eichel's two, then whatever, I had, I think I had Mitch Marner three, and so on and so forth. Um, that's not the hardest part. The hardest part is when you get to like the 40s and the 50s and the 60s and trying to separate those guys from each other. Mm. You can kind of get lost in the weeds there. I remember I did a, a, a ranking in the summer and I had, and I would kind of use players as benchmarks. I'll say, well, this player, player A is better than player B and player B is better than player C, so therefore player A must be better than player C. You know, this I use that that kind yeah. that that kind of logic to kind of help me try to put this stuff together. Yeah. Because sometimes you don't always play in the same leagues and stuff like that. Never, I never see them together. I use that kind of logic, but then I would and then I put player D ahead of player A, but I wasn't convinced that player D was better than player B. <laughs> and you kind of get lost in this this little this little logic puzzle that you create for yourself. <laughs> So we created help try and create this this basically this app to help kind of basically assign um, a numbers basically it'll basically give you like a random you know you take a random set of ten players and you kind of rank them then take another set of ten players and you rank them another ten set and you do that enough times and hopefully you know that little bias issue kind of evens out and you get a more smoother distribution of who of of what order you'd have players in. Um, I'm not. I haven't gotten to the point yet where I'm ready to use that for an article, but 
little Cole and I have worked on, I think that can be a useful thing, not just for my purposes, but I think that issue comes up a lot of times within NHL circles as well. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, when I heard about that or I read about it in the article, it was definitely something I, th- I thought was interesting. And I think a lot of other people will be as well. Um, all right. So, uh, Corey, thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Yep, sure thing. I'm certainly more illuminated about all this stuff because I feel like, I'm, for the most part, the prospect evaluators, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think you guys get enough credit. So let me be the first to raise my hand and say I'm I'm prospectus in the way that I say I'm Spartacus. Like, I'm with you, pal. Like, there's I, I think there's so much more that you guys offer than than what people are seeing. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really – I think it's really vital. And especially when you've got such a good grasp on it. I mean, I'm – and I know you probably don't, you know, and, and most of the good evaluators obviously don't do that thing where they go around like, hey, remember that awesome thing I did? Hey, remember that completely awesome slam dunk I predicted? That was fun, right? But again, I've, I've read a bunch of the stuff and 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 your, your work is essential, Corey, and, and you've definitely opened my eyes a little bit more to at least the backstory because, again, you know, I'm sure the, the average fan – you know, the the game starts and the guy's like, well, we called up John Josephson from from Rockford today. Here are his stats. And people just think that that's it. Right. <laughs> people think that it's just, oh, well, you know, that those are his numbers. He did. He had a couple of goals in the last few games. That's kind of cool. So I'm so I feel good about this guy being on my team. Da, da, da. So, you know, you you provide the essential backstory. So congratulations. <laughs> yes. Uh, thank you. And thank you for guys for having me on. And so the Thanksgiving playoff theory will continue to make its grade here. Uh, Speaking of grades, uh, I have a couple to hand out, Peter, because I don't know if you've seen. I I, I know you've seen. I'm just pausing for dramatic effect. (laughs) Uh, The Winter Classic and uh, Centennial Classic jerseys have been revealed. So... In light of me being the Jersey fanatic on here, I'm sorry if we don't hear Pete's voice too much through all this, but I will pause and let Pete speak because he is half of this fine podcast we like to call for sure. Uh, But let's start first with the Montreal and Ottawa Centennial jerseys. Pete, I want you to start off here because my I, I like I'm okay with these. I like them. But it's really the Buffalo and the New York ones that I kind of want to go ape, ape, ape dung about. So look, let's you kick us off with the the greatest battle in the history of this great sport, which is Montreal v Ottawa. Well, Jay, yeah. Anybody listening knows that I am I am not the the Jersey aficionado on our site, but I'm I'm, I'm interested in the Centennial Classic ones. I think the the Montreal ones in particular, I think I, I really like those. Um, it's I don't know too much about jerseys. I don't you know I don't know different terms and stuff. But the colors are like I, I like the colors. I mean obviously it's their colors. But um you know the, the you know the blues a little bit lighter on the numbers. I like that. I. I, li- I like the clean look. You know, it's just the logo on the front. You just got the two stripes on the bottom. Um, and I think, you know, I, I think you put putting it together, I, I really like it. Um, so wait, so I'm sorry, that's the Montreal one. That's, uh, yeah, this is Montreal. Yeah. The, the Senators one, I don't like it as much, but I, I don't dislike it. I think the, 
the biggest problem I have for me is the logo on the front of the Sens one. I like the back. I like the the, the way the numbers are set up with this. You know, uh, you got the the black and white stripe, but then you have the numbers with the black outline, so you can see them. Like I do like that a lot. On the front, I think. Like I know that obviously they're going for you know a throwback type thing, but I mean it's just it's just an O, <laughs> you know. And, uh, <laughs> I mean I kind of feel like you need, you know, I, I do like clean and classic and crisp, but I, I don't know. I, I think I, I don't think it's one of those logos that just kind of stands out by itself, like you know, like like the winged wheel or the Toronto maple leaf. You know, like it, it's not to to me it's not in that that pantheon of logos. Yeah, it's well. I mean, they've had such a curious logo history, anyway, right? The like the, the one center logo that looks like a gladiator, and then um, just the straight sends, you know, just your just the script thing. So, I would like to think that out of all of those, the O is probably the the most classic. Uh, and obviously, with these heritage classic things, they want to like preserve a classic look because these are teams that have been around forever it's 100 years like that's totally understandable but you're right it's just like let's pick the 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 times new roman o and then you know dress it up with an out with an outline maybe a drop shadow and then uh i mean i do like the sweater design itself i think like the giant red and black stripes are are pretty cool but um it's 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 pretty simple there's not real there's not a lot of nuance and uh and as much as we all want every logo and every jersey they come up with to be absolutely perfect so we don't have to have these types of conversations, we're all still human. They're still human. Things happen. But, uh, yeah, I, I think the Heritage Classic ones are sharp. So the Sens and the Canadians are due to wear these beautiful sweaters for their Heritage Classic thing. But let's talk about the 10th anniversary winter classic. That's right. It's just been 10 short years since Buffalo being bombarded with snow and ice and Sidney Crosby uh, gave birth to this uh, now regarded as oversaturation, but still has some aspects we want to keep in this event that is the NHL winter classic. So uh, I'm this time around the Buffalo uh, Sabres and the New York Rangers are going to be uh, taking to the field at City Field in New York. Uh, that's actually kind of cool. Um, I still contend that baseball venues should not host these things because the sight lines are atrocious, and it's really only like storied buildings. Like, you know, Wrigley Field made sense. Um, Fenway Park made sense. Tiger Stadium would have made sense had they not torn it down. Uh, so, but in terms of all the new stadiums, none of these places offer any good sight lines whatsoever. You pretty much have to hope to get an upper deck seat because then you can at least watch from above, but you're so far removed from it. But I'll save that rant for another day. Uh, <laughs> the Buffalo Sabres and the New York Rangers have their released their kits. And, uh, I want to start with New York. Uh, the Rangers one, I have to admit is really clean. Uh, the, the kind of decided to go with a more I think they stuck with the same font that Rangers is on the diagonal slant um, but they don't have there's no frill to it it's just straight letters and I think it looks really clean I think the blue that they're using granted I can't really speak to color because I myself am colorblind so for all we know it's mustard yellow and none would be the wiser <laughs> but this jersey looks pretty clean uh, they have this cool little shield now for either the captains or the alternates or it just says uh, NY 
it's basically the sh- like imagine the New York Rangers shield logo, like the outline, but instead of it saying New York Rangers in the middle, it just is a solid block white, and in the middle it has like the letters. So I think this looks pretty sweet. Um, I watched the commercial for it, which is online right now. They took uh, it's like these three little kids going to play some outdoor street hockey and two of them showed up with the previous winter classic ones which is kind of a skinnier more like a um it almost looked like a boat like how skinny the the ranger logo was but it was just a skinnier version of of the shield but this one you know like matsukarello shows up because you know matsukarello is just wandering the the suburbs with an extra jersey waiting to find some lucky kid to hand it to right yeah. uh, so he hands it off and they start playing and you know it's it's pretty cool so the rangers wearing them that's pretty cool. But there is also a better photo of these jerseys, which is Kevin Shattenkirk wearing one. And because he has uh, no hair on his head and just the way they took this photo, he just looks like like he wasn't ready. Right. <laughs> like like like, hey, so what we need you to do is you need you to like kind of like take a bit of an angle from this side and then like look like you're going to do like a hard snow stop. Uh, but like they just like they were rolling and then all of a sudden. Uh, they took the shot, but he it was like he thought it was just the practice, right? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then Zuccarello, there's one where he's got a smile and then not a smile. So that obviously means that uh, you know the internet, at least hockey Twitter, could be as well uh, do a couple of before and after photos. I think Dave Lozo already did one, which is pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think the New York one looks sweet. Uh, what what about you, Pete? Yeah, I mean, I was while you were talking, I was looking down on Twitter to. You know, because I, I I saw I saw a video and I saw uh, you know some pictures, and I think you were talking about the uh, the font. I think what they did is they, um, you know, they went back to their expansion uh, jersey, and if you look at you know next to each other, you can see that the font is pretty much the same. So I mean, these type of jerseys they're meant to be throwbacks. They're meant to be, you know, kind of uh, you know evoking a a bygone era. And I think I think in that regard, I think that the Rangers one works. I, I like if if they had said that they're going to change to this jersey for good, I don't think that would be a good decision. Um, but you know, for this for this one game, for this one off game, I think um, you, you know you, you know especially with the uh, with, with with the font being the same as the, you know the nineteen twenty six uniforms, I think it makes sense. I don't love it, but I don't I don't hate it. Now, yeah, the Buffalo <laughs> one. The Buffalo one's interesting because I really, for me, the, the the Buffalo jerseys that I like, actually, I have a lot of the the components that are in this one. I really like their lighter color scheme as opposed to, you know, sometimes when they've gone darker, you know, yep. like for a while they had the black, white and red, I think, um, mm-hmm. you know, when everybody was going with the black jerseys or, you know, all these new teams were experimenting with black third jerseys. I really like that light blue as opposed to the darker blue. I really like the classic Sabres logo with the buffalo on top and the two swords underneath it. And one thing I think is really cool is on the pants, on uh, the player's like right thigh, uh, on their hockey pants, they have the, the two cross Sabres. And I, I think that's a nice little touch. Um, I think for me, like, like the things that make these jerseys or break them are the little touches. And I really like that. Out of these two, I definitely think I prefer the Sabres one the most. Yeah, I have I have to completely agree. the The Sabres one is like one of the cleanest rehashes of a classic jersey than than I've ever uh, that I've seen so far. Um, you know, granted, I am a Wings fan, so I do like some of the. I mean, I think the Centennial Classic Wings jersey is 
a really nice uh, uh, addition of uh, basically a logo system that you really can't <laughs> you really can't mess with. So uh, to see Buffalo able to kind of just take their normal thing, but like you said, it's the touches, it's the it's the different gold band around the color stripes at the waist or on the on the sleeves or you know the the new the the, the solo saber. Like the buffalo that's on their shoulder now, it's just a little yellow buffalo that says sabers in it with no outside etching. It's not cha- It's not in. It's not jailed inside of a, a circle or in a patch or whatever. The patch is its own patch, so it it's it, it looks great. And I just I like you said. I think if the sabers were to switch to this one full time, I think it'd be pretty sweet. If the Rangers switched to the other yeah. one, it'd just be too much. The, yeah. I think I think the Rangers one is is under the circumstances really great for the event and it and it evokes the 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 old timiness well but it's just it's too much of a rehash and too too darker too much of a change from their from the current stuff whereas like the buffalo thing it just looks like finally after being threatened with the buffa slug for years that you know now you have once again found a really awesome way to make the jersey classic again and i just hope they stick with it yeah I, uh, I I definitely agree. I, I really like those Buffalo ones. You know, I think I, it's it's funny. I was talking about I was talking about this in a, a quick hits article that I wrote for the site, and somebody uh, somebody said that it was a Jersey foul that I said that I would be interested in getting if I could a PK Subban Montreal. Uh, you know the, the Centennial <laughs> Classic, or perhaps a Carlson Ottawa one. Although, like, the, 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 I, I like the I like the Montreal ones the best out of all of these. Yeah, and um, I, I guess some people believe that you know you shouldn't get a jersey if it's a, a team that you don't root for. But for me, I mean, if it's you know th- there, there's certain players, there's only a handful of players. You know, there's a player, there's a few players in the league that I would get their jersey even if I don't root for their team. Um, but at the same time, I mean, you know, I, I love the, the saying, you know, you know, uh, nobody should tell anybody else how to fan. You know, so yeah. if you if you <laughs> think that's wrong, then then that's fine. That's totally great. Um, you know, you do you. But I don't know. I, I do really like these these jerseys overall. I think if I had to rank them, I think I would go Montreal and then Buffalo and then Ottawa and then New York. But again, I don't hate the New York ones. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a solid ranking. I mean, I, I personally, I'd probably just flip New York and and, and Buffalo and have Buffalo be number one. But yeah, I think yeah. Again, it's it, whoever is designing these for the most part is is has their head on their shoulders correctly. Sometimes though, there are some that's just like you got to be like, dude, go home, <laughs> please go, just stop, stop it, stop, get help. <laughs> That's okay. right, Michael Jordan. That's right. We got to stop and get help. All right. So thank you very much for listening to another episode of For Sure, a 200 foot podcast. So you can follow us on Twitter. I am at P Flynn Hockey. Jay is at the Roar underscore 24. And the podcast in general is at 200 foot pod 200 FTPOD. So come on there, send us some stuff and interact with us and have a great time so the only thing we have left to do is the classic for sure ending uh doc emmerich verb of the week or (laughs) verb of the episode so jay what do you got for us today it is the it is the thanksgiving holiday season and i was really trying to find one that really evoked uh the the season 
Mm-hmm. And I think I found one, Pete. Ooh, okay, awesome. Uh, so uh, I think on this episode, for sure, we really ladled this one. <laughs> <laughs> he ladles it. <laughs> Ladle along the boards to Shankirk, back to Zuccarello, scores! Oh, my goodness! What a, what a base. <laughs> <laughs> There's always something awesome about when when Emmerich's voice cracks, like when yeah. he's straining, that's the best. And he's like, yeah. oh, my goodness. <laughs> like, it's, it's like we re, it's him going Super Saiyan, but at the mic. And it's great. So he ladles this one. Reefed. It's perfect. <laughs> All right. So thanks so much for listening. Until next time. Goodbye. Bye. For sure. For sure. For sure. For sure. For sure, for sure. For sure. For sure, sure, for sure. For sure. For sure, sure, for sure. For sure. For sure, sure, for sure. For sure.